You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. And now, your hosts, Lauren Lee Chen and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Thanks for joining us on the NBA Beat Playoffs Edition. I'm Aaron Fisher. Today's episode will focus solely on the Miami Heat Charlotte Hornets series. Could be a good series. The first game was very one sided. Miami ended up winning 123 91. And to delve more deeply into the series, we're bringing on Josh Baumgard, second time on the show, and for the first time, Nick Denning, who writes for AtTheHive.com and is the managing editor of the Lottery Mafia of the Blogging Network. He once held the door for a Mecca Okafer, but he does lots of other great things for humanity, like write and talk about the Charlotte Hornets and mold young minds as a college English teacher. We're proud to unveil a new format we're experimenting with in which we're going to divide the show into two halves. And we'll start with the Josh Baumgard part of the interview. Then after the break, stay tuned. We'll listen to Nick Denning talk about the series and what Charlotte has to do to get back into it. Let's bring in Josh now. How's it going, Josh? What's up, fellas? Not much. We're excited to talk about the Heat and Hornets. After a dominant first game effort by the Miami Heat, the Charlotte Hornets are hoping to make this a series by stealing one in Miami. I'm curious your thoughts as to if the Hornets have much of a chance. They were 25 and 9 the last two and a half months of the season. They're a really deep quality team, but Miami's also playing lights out basketball and they won convincingly in game one. What do you think about that? I don't want to overreact too much. I know. The media, we in general have a tendency to react on a game by game basis. But yeah, fans I, too. I think it's silly, you know. Yeah, fans too, but I think that's part of social media's uh, lore. Uh, but you got to relax about that a little bit. I mean, they blow them out; they look convincing. But as we've seen in years past, like a team could win game one and lose the next four. Like it's just, I need three or four games to really, really assess it a trend and how one team matches up with another. But I I fully expect the the Hornets to come out swinging and playing a lot harder in Game 2. Now, I think the Heat will still come away with it. They they play really well on their home court. But this isn't going to be a cakewalk. I I highly doubt it's going to be a dominating sweep. And we saw in the Mavericks-Thunder series, and I don't want to compare because it's just a totally different animal and a different matchup, but... The Mavericks just got absolutely destroyed in Game 1, and then they come out in Game 2 in Oklahoma City, and they win one. And, and this Charlotte Hornets team is a quality team. We can't forget that. No, absolutely. They are. They're a really good team. And uh, you have to look at some of these shooting numbers, like Lil Deng and Hassan Whiteside combined 20 for 24. That, that's not happening. And if it does happen, then it's going to be another blowout. But I don't think Lil Deng's hitting 4 for 6 or 3 every game. The Heat in general, I don't think they're hitting 50% from three. Charlotte has a really good defense. Yeah, this one should be a lot closer tomorrow. Some of these stats, I'm wondering if you think they're sustainable. You mentioned the, the crazy shooting percentages from Dang and Whiteside, but also the rebounding disparity. 
And the fact that the Heat only had six turnovers, do you think that's sustainable? Uh, no, because I think Charlotte's going to ramp up their intensity. With that's going to come more turnovers. Uh, the Heat aren't going to shoot as well. I think they're really going to come at Whiteside. They, they know he has a uh, tendency to let his temper flare. And, and I think you're going to see next game. I think Jefferson's going to pound him. I think they might even bring uh, Hansborough in for a little longer just to kind of be that goon because we all know he can get under player's skin. And, and he seems like the logical guy to try to bait Whiteside if they're into that sort of thing. And, and it's the NBA playoffs, you know, like they leave everything out there. And if I'm Charlotte, I would, if things aren't going so well, I'd put Hansborough out there, beat him up a little bit. It seems like they have to do something a little bit extreme. And again, I don't want to overstate the importance of just a single game, but the rebounding disparity was so vast. So I know that it's not likely sustainable that it will be that great of a disparity, at least in my opinion. And some of those shooting numbers for, let's say, um, Whiteside and Dang, who each only missed two shots, that's not sustainable. But they won by 32. Are the overall trends, do you think, likely to keep up? Just that, that uh, they'll control the boards, barring any foul trouble or ejection or something crazy? Yeah, I mean, as long as... Long as um, I, it's crazy as I know they shot... There was a huge free-throw disparity, and you don't often see a team lose by 32 and outshoot the other team from the line by 16 attempts. So that's even, that's even more interesting, because if that was a little more balanced out, then it could have been even worse than 32-point spread. But... Yeah, I think I think the Heat are a better team. I think they've got more firepower in the playoffs. They've got multiple guys to create, and, and as long as these guys play together, which they have, as long as Dwayne Wade doesn't try to be the man, which he's an unselfish guy, he buys into the team aspect. As long as he tra- tries to not do too much hero ball and they're moving the ball, that's the key with them. When they're moving the ball and they're playing hard defense, they can pretty much hang with anybody, at least in the Eastern Conference. I read a lot of series previews before Game One. And many insiders noted that the Hornets have the advantage in depth. How would you assess that argument? No, I think that's foolish. Uh, maybe, maybe argue they're a little deeper at like nine or ten. But I mean, the Heat with those two rookies off the bench, I don't, I don't think a lot of people realize how impactful they've been, at least from on the national scene. Like Winslow and Richardson have been just essential to them. Winslow, his defense, you know. Wade and Johnson are, are dinosaurs in NBA years. They, they can't chase guys around in the perimeter like they used to. They can crank up the defensive intensity when they need to, but they're really not in the same league as Justice Winslow as a defender on the perimeter right now. Josh Richardson, he hustles his tail off on the defensive end, and his shooting has been just huge. Like I, I remember talking to you guys last time. I think we were talking about how poorly shooting they were as a team, and Richardson. Uh, Johnson, those guys have been huge, and they're coming off the bench. You know, I know Stoudemire doesn't come off the bench anymore. I mean, uh, Whiteside doesn't come off the bench anymore, but even Omari's given you a solid uh, 10 to 15 minutes, you know, so they're top eight. I think they're pretty deep. And then you have, like, Josh McRoberts and Haslam and those guys, if needed, for spot minutes. And even Darrell Wright, I mean, he played four minutes last game, and he <laughs> came away with, what, eight points. Wow. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I was gonna, if you hadn't, I was gonna mention Darrell Wright and Josh McRoberts. These are guys that are maybe number 10 on the roster, and they're even capable of contributing, which they showed in game one. So it's, yeah, it's a very deep roster. Yeah, they're deep. They're deep in their balance. You know, not, 
you could say like they may not be as deep in the talent or their bench, but their four and five is probably better than most other teams' four and five. You know, depending on how you look at it, you can consider Dwayne Wade the third or fourth best player on this team. Some people yeah. would say that's crazy, and they could say Dragic or Whiteside, but you've got a very balanced uh, top six, seven guys. Yeah. Kemba Walker is one guy who I think needs to have a big series, especially scoring the basketball. And you'd want him to distribute as well, but I think 19 points isn't going to get it done for the Hornets moving forward and that he needs to put up closer to 30. Would you agree with that assessment? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think Kemba's one of those guys that's it's very inconsistent. And uh, I think the Heat, I think they really enjoy playing those guys. They'd much rather play a, a ball-dominant guy like Kemba that's flashy, a high-volume shooter than one of these lights-out three-point shooters. So... I think the Heat are going to do everything they can to contain him, and I think you're going to see a lot of Winslow on him, especially in the second half, just because he's versatile, and although Kemba's a lot smaller, he might be, I don't know, a little quicker, but Winslow's got such amazing defensive agility, and I think he could really give Kemba some issues. And Yeah, I mean, I think Kemba's got to be lights out for them to have a chance to beat them, especially tomorrow. This might be a little bit hard for you to say because the Heat did win pretty easily in Game 1, but were there stretches where you saw the Hornets were going to something that was working or possibly an area of vulnerability for the Heat that the Hornets should go to more the rest of the series? I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I think Hassan Whiteside's a bit uh, vulnerable inside. He's got great off-the-ball defense. He's a tremendous shot blocker, but... He's had some issues guarding guys in the post. And if you look at the numbers, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but they certainly reflect that. You saw, who was it, um, Robin Lopez. Like some of the true post post scorers in the league, like Lopez, have given him issues. And Al Jefferson is just a monster inside. I know he's a bit fatter and older than we're uh, used to seeing. And I feel like he's always dominated the heat. But I think Jefferson's got a uh, 30-point game in him. And if I were the Hornets, I would dump it into him on Whiteside just all day because, you know, he might block some shots for sure. But if you can get Whiteside in some foul trouble, the Heat are a different team defensively when he's out of the game. It could tire him out too. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's true. I mean, Whiteside is going to be playing full tilt tomorrow. He's pissed because he didn't (laughs) win Defensive Player of the Year. And I don't know if that's warranted. I would have. I think it's fair to say he was the third best defensive player in the league this year, and maybe may have even been fourth. But yeah, uh, we yeah, were talking gonna, about yeah, that he's gonna before. Be coming out firing, Come yeah, on, he's going to look for that. He's going to look for that triple double with blocks. I'll tell you that. Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. That three is probably a good spot for him, even though he's just such a dominant shot blocker. Hard to go wrong though with those two guys at the top. Such great defenders on great team defense. Yeah, and they're elite. They're just they're just so elite and Whiteside. You still watch him even the other night in the blowout. You'll just see him and, and he just doesn't. He gives up a rebound and it's it's not because of effort. He just didn't box out. So he's got a few more things he needs to sharpen up on to really be among the, the league's overall elite defenders. And I think Whiteside would have ran away with the Sixth Man of the Year award had he started a few fewer games. Right. No. Absolutely. A lot of people were saying that the Heat's success was contingent upon Chris Bosh staying healthy and doing well. But as we know, he hasn't been around because of various issues. How do you think his absence has allowed for, for some Heat players to play more to their strengths? Whiteside, for example, or Dragic even, to be able to control the ball more? I think it's a testament to the Heat's uh, coaching, but also their balance. 
because if, if Bosch was, let's say, I don't know, shooting 20% of team shots before, they had some other guys that could have been using a little more volume, a little more looks. Whiteside was one of them. So they've really picked up, and I, I'm absolutely not saying they're better without Bosch, I think. Anybody would be silly to say that. I mean, he's such a good two-way player. Uh, but yeah, they've all stepped up, and it appears that this group uh, outside of Boss, they really thrive playing small ball, especially Luol Deng. It's like Luol Deng was reborn when he was moved to the four. Like, he's just a completely different player. When he was playing the three, and he was really on the outside and going against other threes, like, he looked washed up. He looked done. I, I said to trade him to China, like bring back Michael Beasley. But ever since he's gone to the four, it just reinvigorated everything. Like Goran Dragic has been more aggressive, has gotten more shots. So, I mean, yeah, they've just stepped up in his absence. And that's what you expect from a bunch of veteran, former and current stars. Speaking of Bosch, is it just really unpredictable now whether or not he'll return at some point? And if he does, what would that do to the chemistry? Obviously, they know him. They've played with him. He's a great player that, of course, you would add if you had the opportunity to. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. I mean, I, I don't, if I'm him, I'd agree that he's got something within him where he's prone to blood clots and that doesn't really mesh well with the NBA lifestyle. He can't play on blood thinners, which I know I think he wanted to do and the Heat didn't let him, even though that wasn't officially confirmed or anything. But that was the kind of the mindset of the local media around here thinking that they're on different pages of the team in Bosch. But if he were to come back, you'd have to find a way to work him in. Now, it might not be a, a ton of minutes of Bosch and Whiteside next to each other. You might have to stagger them more. And, and maybe Whiteside, maybe Bosch, like, see, Whiteside cares about starting. He, he cares about these little things that, that probably Chris Bosch can go without. I think Bosch would just be satisfied coming back. And I think, as crazy as it sounds, with him making over $20 million a year, I think he'd be cool coming off the bench. And he'd be playing the coming in as that five for Whiteside, and they'd both play, I don't know, 30 minutes a game and overlap a little bit. But yeah, I think they can find a way to make it work. The key is when you have Bosch and Whiteside together, you just you need some more shooting around them. You know, and that might not mesh well with Dwayne Wade, but if Wade comes out and you throw some other guys, yeah, mm-hmm. they'll find a way to incorporate him if he's able to come back. I hope he is, but I also, there's a part of me that hopes he just retires because he's got his money's worth. He's got nothing left to prove. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. It could be a long series, but the Heat seem to have a good path going forward to potentially get to the Eastern Conference Finals with maybe... Heat and four. You're talking Cleveland, Heat and four. I'm going to save your breath. <laughs> I actually wasn't going to ask you that, but it's good to know. Uh, we can revisit that later. But, but yeah, so if they win this series against the Hornets, then they're going to take on either the Raptors or Pacers, neither of those teams seems that strong. There are clear weaknesses. The Heater are looking good right now. But do you want to make a prediction for the rest of this series, if you're comfortable with it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think they get past Charlotte relatively easy. I'm, I'm thinking five games. I thought five before the series started. There'll be a game where they're not going to be shooting well, and, and that's where they'll be vulnerable. But I think they get past them in five. And as you said, those... That next round matchup is neither of those teams have a ton of firepower and they don't seem to be as balanced as the Heat one through seven, one through eight. The Heat just they have so much veteran experience, you know, and I don't think Paul George is enough if the Pacers got there to uh to tilt it in their favor. I told you this when we were setting up the interview, but I think it's cool that you're our first two time guest and it wasn't a coincidence. We did it for a reason. We love having you on. 
and Talking Heat. And they're really an intriguing team this year. It's It'll be interesting to see how far they go. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. Yeah, they really are. And not to say this just because I'm a, I'm a hometown guy here, but they're intriguing because we don't really know what they are yet. Everybody thought they were done when Bosch went down, and here they are, and they've got some intriguing pieces. So yeah, I, I think everybody's really looking forward and really hoping that Miami meets Cleveland in these finals. And, and though they'll probably not win, it would be <laughs> a heck of an entertaining clash. Yeah, what a great storyline that would so be. So much fun, yeah. The, the media, like, it would just be nuts and the thing is the pressure would seem to be all on Cleveland in that scenario because the Heat, the heat aren't supposed to be Cleveland in that series and then the pressure is all on LeBron so it, it would be a highly watched event to see that. Thanks again Josh enjoy game two and the rest of the series Thanks guys Hey, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Well, it's good to have you on. This series with the Heat, it's going to be a tough one. They got blown out in Game 1, but these Hornets are a very solid, deep team. What's your mindset right now in, in where the Hornets are and what they have to do moving forward to be able to find a way to advance? You know, I haven't quite hit the panic button yet. I know some have, but I'd say the biggest thing that needs to change is really that they have to kind of get back more of their, you know, I guess their identity, specifically on the defensive rebounding side of things. I mean, um, at Miami got a ton of offensive rebounds in game one and, and Charlotte ranked as the best defensive rebounding team in the league. So that was very unlike them to, to give up so many offensive rebounds. That's got to improve. And I think part of that is, is containing Whiteside. They had a real trouble, a real trouble doing, um, in game one. So that to me is probably the, the first thing they need to do. Do you think that that's an easy fix for them? The rebounding disparity, that just can't happen, right? No, it can't. It's, it's interesting because they, um, uh, in game one, they, they did, on pick and roll situations, they started blitzing, um, the, the role, you know, the, in, the, in picking those pick and roll situations. And, um, it left, it left guys wide open, either underneath the basket, you know, or you saw Luol Dang open for the three. It, it just kind of really, you know, discombobulated them defensively. And it was very unlike, you know, what I've seen throughout, seen from them throughout the season. It's interesting that how they've been so good def- from, from a defensive rebounding standpoint without really having an elite rebounder. I mean, Zeller is pretty good. Jefferson is, is good. He gets good positioning, positioning at least. But, you know, they just, you know, they've just always known how to, you know, Clifford's done just a good job of, of, of being able to coach a, a unit defensively and, and have them just, you know, practice good defensive rebounding principles. So I think just kind of going back to what's worked during the season should, hopefully make things better for them in game two. The Heat put up their the most points in their playoff history last game. Obviously, there needs to be a defensive adjustment for the Hornets, but uh, you already mentioned limiting the Heat's offensive rebounding. They were able to parlay that into a huge percentage in the points in the paint. They scored on 22 of their 29 shots in the restricted area. Other than that, what do you think is the biggest defensive adjustment needed for the Hornets? sort of alluded to this just earlier, but the um their rotations were just so out of whack. And I mean I you know, Luol Deng found himself, you know, just just for one example, just found himself wide open time after time, especially from the corner. And I mean he had such a great game and I think just you know, 
they they asked they you know they asked uh, the Heat about you know Dank's performance in Game One. They said you know what did you do? And they said well we didn't really do anything different. You're still getting the same shots he always does. So to me that says okay they can fix this. You know it's, you know it's not like Dank was doing something differently. You know just better rotations. Maybe bad, just, like I said kind of get back to the more you know, principles that have worked rather than trying something that you know clearly didn't in, um, in the first game. From an offensive perspective, is Kemba Walker going to have to do a lot more? for them to have a, a good chance at coming back? Only if the rest of the, um, you know, the role players in the Hornets continue to, to uh, perform poorly because, you know, he actually had a pretty good game. 19 points is, I mean, obviously below his season average, but, you know, he didn't, he, he shot the ball fairly well. He kind of took the shots that came to him. Um, and Batum had a good game as well. But, you know, Marvin Williams, who's been very reliable throughout the season, was, was, a, was just non-existent. Courtney Lee missed some shots. Um, they didn't get a lot of production from some of the other guys that have been known that they've been able to rely on in the past. So unless you know, I, I think Walker can do more, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say they have to rely on him unless you know they just continue to not get anything else from the role players. And if the role players aren't really doing that much, and Kemba Walker has to shoulder more of the load, do you anticipate seeing Justice Winslow potentially put on him? I know he's bigger. And, um, Kemba Walker's faster, but Winslow is a really good, versatile defender. And, uh, Josh Baumgard talked about that, that we might see more of Winslow on Kemba Walker. It's a possibility. Um, especially, you know, and let's say that Lynn and, and Walker play together, which you may not see as much because if Lynn has to guard Wade, that's an issue. But, um, you got to think, you know, if Lynn and Walker are out in the same, t- are out in the court at the same time, you could see a situation where maybe, um, someone like Josh Richardson is guarding Lynn. And then uh, Walker's guarded by Winslow. It won't be good if if the role players don't step up and start hitting shots because you know people talk about Kemba's you know um, improved shooting percentages this year. Part of that is his he, he adjusted his his uh, release, but part of that is the fact that there are just other reliable scores on the floor now. You know, in years mm-hmm. past, everything that you know, like almost every time late in the shot clock, the ball had to go to Walker, whether he was in a good position to shoot or not. Um, and that's why he had to put up a lot of just bad, you know, shots. And, and this year he hasn't had to do that. So you could see things going south pretty quickly if he has to be relied on to do, you know, almost everything. And I know you said that you're not ready to hit the panic button yet. I think Steve Clifford feels the same way. He said he's not going to change their game plan too much. Especially he said that he's he's not really going to think about starting Al Jefferson over Zeller. But do you think that Jefferson's post presence is needed in a series like this to go against a guy like Hassan Whiteside and make at least make life life a little bit harder for him inside? Absolutely. I mean, I think to me, I think Jefferson's their, their X factor just because even though he hasn't been um, at quite the level he's been, you know, maybe say from two years ago. In recent weeks, he's looked a lot better. He's looked healthier. Um, his post moves have been much stronger. So I was really disappointed just by how poorly he played for the most part in Game One. Whether he starts or not, I don't think necessarily matters. But like, I think you, you made a good point saying like he he can potentially disrupt Whiteside, and if he can kind of draw get him into foul trouble, that could you know that could bode well. But yeah, he needs he needs to do more. Despite the one sided score, were there some things you saw from the Hornets that were encouraging, possibly somewhere where the Heat were vulnerable in Game One? They didn't really have an answer for uh, Zoom. I was actually a little bit worried just by how he would perform just because he was coming off. Um, he just rolled his ankle about a week, week and a half ago. He played really well. 
And you you know you could just tell that he had he had been in these situations before. He was ready for for this type for a playoff game. Um, I also like the way Zeller played, um, just because he found himself in a lot of open spaces, and and he's really good at kind of playing off the ball, particularly when Batum's on the floor. Batum just kind of knows where he's gonna where he's gonna run on the floor. Um, he got a lot of easy um, easy kind of dunks, just kind of driving and diving to the to the hoop. And then like you know, like I said before, I thought Walker played fairly well, and you know, I wasn't too concerned about that. Um, but yeah, that that was probably the you know the only real positives um, you know from the from the first game. Yeah, it seems like Batum is one of the more experienced players on this roster, at least from a playoffs perspective. Yeah, he he is, and I think that was probably a, a real reason that they one reason that they brought him over. He's just so kind of he just he's very cool and, and calm when he's out there. He doesn't get um you know too extreme emotionally one way or another. Um, but he's just so smart. I mean, like you know the first you know when they were down early in the game, um I think when they were down maybe nine two or something like that, and or nine one, and um. You know, he kind of came, he rolled off a screen and he knew that his defender was trailing him. And he, you know, he does this all, he's, he's done this all season, but he just, he's able to draw a foul on a three point attempt just because he kind of can shift his body into the defender who's trailing, trying to catch up and they kind of just run into each other. And just things like that are, are just, um, you know, just smart plays that he's able to do just because he just reads the game so well. But one thing I'd say he has to do more and a walker as well is just, uh, they, they, I think combined, they only had like, and, and I don't, this is, this may not be exactly correct, but it, it's, it's around this area. They only had about two assists combined. Usually either two or five assists combined. And that is not enough. Part of that is the fact that the other, the other guys on the, on the team weren't exactly hitting their shots, but that needs to, to improve. Yeah. Actually, you were saying Kemba Walker and Batum. Yeah. Yeah. They only combined for two assists and right. five turnovers also. So they did get a lot of points, but no one else was scoring. You're right about that. And when you look at the Hornets and the Heat's record during the regular season, obviously they both were 48 and 34, just like Atlanta and Boston. But the Hornets weren't that good of a road team, and the Heat were a very good home team. I know it's kind of hard for us to talk about home and away and really what's the difference, but the Hornets are going to be in a hostile atmosphere again. And they're going to need to find a way to dig deep. Is part of that just not getting blown out early, just hanging around, hanging around, and then as you hang around longer, progressively building that confidence? That's an interesting question because, like, the Heat, or the Hornets kind of do, a, you know, they do one or two things typically at the start of games. They either get to really good starts and they usually roll for most of the game, um, or there's been times where they've had starts like that one in game one. And you're just like, wow, what it just, they just didn't show up today. And then like, like around like the, the end of the second quarter into the third quarter, they just start to make a run. And then suddenly they're back in it by the start of the fourth quarter. And like, I think that the Spurs game is, is a great example of that. I mean, they're, I think they didn't even score, I think you said nine or 11 points in the first quarter. And then they came back and won. So I don't know to say like, you know, they, they definitely need to hang around. The playoffs are a different, different thing, but you know, I think probably for game two, just, just based on how game one went, I think they have to get out to a good start because I think if they, if they get behind again, like they have at, you know, at times this season, it's going to be much harder for them to come back just because of the situation. I think one surprising thing for the Hornets this season that didn't get a lot of national coverage was the play of Marvin Williams over the course of the season. He was really strong for them, uh, throughout and he did a lot of little things well that helped the team, but, in game one, he struggled a lot, especially shooting. 
how much do they need a good game from him at least? And what can he do to make that better? It's really important that he plays better. I'd say, I, there, there have been times this season where I'd say he was the third most important scorer on the floor just because, you know, he's, you know, at times this season, he was just so good in kind of catch and shoot opportunities. Um, and he was, you know, he would just really spread the floor out, you know, because, if, you know, with, with, with Tuman and Walker up there, you have to obviously focus on them. But if he's hitting, but then if Marvin Williams is hitting shots, it just opens up space for some, you know, for, for those two and for others. He, yeah, he, he needs to have a good game because his, if he plays well, it just opens up things for just everybody else. We want to get your prediction if you're comfortable giving one. Do you have a thought as to how the rest of the series will go? It's going <laughs> to, if they win, if they win tomorrow and they tie the series up, this can go any direction. Because I, I, I said coming into the series that they had to split the first two if they, if they really wanted to have a, a shot at winning this. Cause you know, they split the first two, they can kind of gain some kind of home, home court advantage. Um, if they lose tomorrow, I, I mean, I could see it being over, you know, maybe in five games. I, I just don't, it, coming out of a 2-0 hole is very difficult. Um, and I think Miami, just with all the experience that that team has, you know, in the playoffs, I, I just don't see them yeah. blowing a 2-0 lead. Yeah. It's a shame when two hot teams meet up in the playoffs. And I, I know this is not on as big of a scale, but it reminds me a little bit of the Spurs Clippers last year. I mean, those teams each won 14 of their last 15. And it was a shame that the Spurs had to be eliminated in the first round. Both of these teams were so strong after the all-star break. And it's a shame that one can't be playing next round. You'd at least hope for the series to go a little bit longer than what you said, but we'll see what happens. You're right. If they don't come out strong in game two, then it's going to be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, these two, these teams have played well, and it's amazing what they've kind of overcome. I mean, you think about Miami with losing Bosch, Charlotte. You know, thought they had lost Michael Kidd Gilchrist all season. Then he comes back. They go like five and two in the seven games he plays. They look so. I mean, they just you just see the impact that he has, and then he tears his labrum again, and you're just like, I mean, what? You know, part of me just wonders. We all, all I think every Hornets fan and, and follower wonders. You know, wonders just. If he had been healthy, even for just half the games, like what, how many more wins could this team have had? Because he just provides such an impact on, on both ends. Yeah, you and I worked together at the Lottery Mafia, so this wasn't the first time we were on a podcast together, but it was your first time on the NBA beat, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Good luck to your Hornets, and I hope we see an entertaining series. We'll see what happens, though.